Five Live is part of the Landry Football Network. My name's Chris Mykoski. We had a lot of good games to watch on week three. The early time slot at noon Eastern, I was just getting back into town after five days away. So my primary focus ended up being on building forts and playing with Paw Patrol toys. But when I was watching TV, I was flipping between Tulsa, Oklahoma State, and the Ragin' Cajuns at Georgia State. Tulsa ultimately couldn't pull off the upset in Stillwater, losing 16-7. to The Ragin' Cajuns ended up winning 34-31 in OT. We talked about the potential trap game with Gerald Broussard last week, but UL Lafayette was able to stay undefeated, and they remained at 19th in the AP poll. We'll go over those new rankings after our interviews today. Checking scores when all the games were hitting halftime, I saw Tulane was up 24 to nothing on Navy. So I didn't even think about flipping over to that one. Had no clue that the midshipmen were storming back. It wasn't until after it happened that I saw Navy won 27 to 24. Daniel Davies hitting a 33 yard field goal as time expired. To talk about that American Athletic Conference clash in New Orleans, we bring in the voice of the midshipman, Pete Medhurst. And Pete, a little less than two weeks after you saw Navy lose 55-3 to to BYU. The mids have that huge deficit heading into the break. What was your attitude like heading into halftime? I think we were all kind of, you know, wondering uh, what it was going to take uh, to turn things around because it's certainly not a Navy product that we're used to seeing. But at the same time, I mean, the kids, I think, found their game legs a little bit, especially the defense in the second quarter. They got a couple of stops, uh, held one drive to a field goal, Got a huge interception by Cameron Kinley at the end of the first half when it looked like Tulane might be going up uh, 31-0. And at least that play gave you, uh, you know, you're looking at it and you go, at least there's some life there. The question was, how long was it going to take the offense to get going? And the reason why Dalen Morris earned the job originally was because he's got a cannon for an arm. And in the second half, the offensive line gave him time. He confidently stepped up in the pocket, made some big plays in the passing game. Jamel Carruthers with a big uh, 48-yard run. And that just kind of seemed to get that life and that electricity back in the Navy offense. And uh, as you know, with Service Academy kids, they're never going to stop playing. And uh, they were eventually able to come back and, and pull out a miraculous victory. And you said on your show that you didn't know who the QB was going to be. The freshman, Xavier Arline, gets the start, but he struggles and Morris takes over. Did Morris solidify the job going forward now? 
I think so. Uh, but, you know, in this sport, as we well know, especially at the college level, um, you're really only as good as your next game. Uh, but I think the way he played in the second half was what they were hoping from him. And as we found out, based on the way they had prepared uh, before game one against BYU, I don't think you could hold any of those kids accountable for the way they individually played in some respects, uh, just based on the physicality of the game, the speed of the game. They weren't ready for it, and it showed. Uh, it took them a while to get going yesterday. Uh, but once it seemed like they got some game legs under them, things started to change. And at least for now, uh, Coach Niamatololo has indicated he will be the quarterback, and certainly his performance uh, dictated it because he was tremendous, not only physically, but the mental part, the leadership part that you have to have to keep your team up uh, in a situation like that. Um, he was terrific, and the kids responded to him and obviously earned the shot against Air Force in two weeks. I went to Army-Navy last year, finally did the bucket list experience of uh, getting to be there in Philadelphia. And in that one, the mids threw just one pass. <laughs> Yesterday, 11 of them. I know you had to open it up down by 24, but, I mean, I'm looking back at uh, the Navy game notes. I'm trying to find any time in recent memory they went above double digits. Yeah, Keenan Reynolds had one, I know, uh, against Houston several years ago. He threw for 300 yards. Uh, in a game down there but uh, you're right I mean there's no question if we can if we can run the ball 75 times in a game we're going to do it I think what Dalen gives you is a guy though that legitimately can throw the ball with a lot of confidence a lot of power he's got a very strong arm they put in when Billy Ray Stutzman joined the offensive staff last year they put in a run and shoot type package um, for the offense because they knew eventually you know teams and Tulane was doing it yesterday I mean you're going to see 10 guys within five yards of the line of scrimmage. You've got to find a way uh, to beat them with the pass. And I think two things that happened. I think, A, the offensive line, you got a couple of new guys there. The guys shuffled around yesterday, making their first appearances at different positions, which um, you know, was, was critical. And the way they played in the second half was outstanding, especially in pass pro against a, a, an experienced Tulane defensive line that had 97 starts coming in. Patrick Johnson is a, is a monster. Cameron Sample is a monster on the defensive line. Um, so you, you were playing against legitimate pros mm -hmm. uh, up there. And I think our, our coaches understand that when opportunities present itself, uh, they do want to throw. And I don't think you can count also, we probably have the best wide receiver depth at any time we've had in a long time, maybe even ever at that position right now. Mark Walker made a tremendous play. Ryan Mitchell's a very capable receiver. He's got a big club right now on one of his hands, so he's not necessarily a big receiving threat. He's a great blocker, but he can go catch the ball. We've seen him do it in the past. And, um, you know, Devin Matthews caught the two-point conversion pass in the back of the end zone. They got the game tied up at 24. So it's four legitimate guys that they have a lot of confidence in right now. And when you have those pieces and you know teams are gearing up to stop the run first, you've got to be able to back them off. And those pass plays they made yesterday – uh, really made uh, a big, big difference in the contest. There was a piece in The Athletic on Sunday morning that was more taking it from the Tulane perspective on just the overall collapse. And their running back, TJ Spears, was quoted as saying that they went into total relax mode. When you're watching that game as it happened, did you think the way players maybe weren't taking it as seriously? Could you see that relax mode? as it was going on? I think they took it seriously. I just think Navy started playing at the same speed Tulane was in the first half. The defense for Navy started playing better. And I thought there were times where 
Tulane went away from what got them there, and it was Spears. I mean, steady diet of Spears. Um, you know, on a fourth down and three, they throw a fly pattern uh, down the sideline, you know, asking Keon Howard to make that play against one of our better corners, Cameron Kinley, in coverage. I mean, it's just a – you know, it's questionable play call in that situation. Physically, they were, you know, they were doing some things against us in the run game. And Spears is a guy that really doesn't go down on first contact. And if you're going to go for it in that situation, they had the wind at their back, could have kicked a field goal. Merrick Glover's a, you know, very capable kicker. But if you're going to go for it there, do what you do best. And they didn't do that. And I think that is where you could question maybe some of the play calling that Tulane had going on at times because they got away from uh, what, built their lead for them, which was great defense and, and a really sound running game because with Spears and Cam Carroll, they've got two very talented running backs uh, in that backfield that they can run. And, you know, I, I think they got away from them, quite frankly, uh, on a couple of occasions there. And, and it allowed Navy to certainly get back in the football game. Overall, you said on It's College Football that you just had no idea what to expect on Saturday. Given now what you've seen, the BYU game, which probably just a complete aberration given what happened leading up to it, as you mentioned. And now that second half that you saw them, the way the mids performed against Tulane, do you have an idea now or is, is Navy still, is this year's club still a mystery? I think it's still a little bit of a mystery, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's two quarters of football. And, you know, you know we're – you know, Joe and I and Keith Mills, who do the broadcast, we're, we, are, we are homers to an extent, but we're not blind homers. Sure. Um, you know, and, and just like our coach doesn't blow skirt up anybody's butt, you know, we don't do that uh, either. I, but I think that seeing the players play the way they did in the second half, that's the kind of football you come to expect from, from Navy and, and how they're constituted uh, right now. But just like, you know, I mean, yesterday – who would have suspected Oklahoma State and Tulsa would have uh, such a close knockdown dragout yep. uh, type game? Look at Louisiana, who just won at Iowa State. You know, they were life and death down two scores at, at Georgia State, came back uh, and, and won that game. You know, we watched Wake Forest and NC State have a massive shootout last night. Who would have thought that? The Scott Satterfield hype train is out of control at Louisville. It's rolling down the tracks. And Miami rolled in there last night, you know, with Manny Diaz, who couldn't have been – criticized more ways by more people last year and he's got a quarterback who came out of the American um, Cameron uh, you know is a great running back and made a huge play when Louisville's defense left him wide open uh, so right now it's hard it's really hard to say who anybody is to be completely honest with you in college sure. football based on the preparation uh, but what we saw yesterday was Navy getting back closer to the things that fundamentally and philosophy they're built around. That's what's so encouraging about that performance. Um, though we know two weeks, uh, two weeks from now, um, Air Force is going to throw caution to the wind because they're only playing two games and they don't really have any conference ramifications or bowl ramifications. Right. I mean, Troy could come out in single wing. He could come out in, you know, the air raid. Who knows? Because the one thing Troy Calhoun's proven over the year is very capable offensive mind. There's no question about it. Um, and I think Navy's going to be have to going to have to be ready for just about anything uh, coming up against the Falcons. Yeah, and speaking of that game, uh, Coach Niamatololo took some issue with Air Force being able to compete 
for the commander in chief's trophy, if I understood it correctly, overall, what was his argument and is it a valid one? Look, I mean, I think, and, and obviously, you know, he came back and apologized for some of his comments. I think, I think Kenny's thought process on it is just making sure everything is on equal footing. And it's not that, you know, you know, could, could the commander in chief series waited until next year when everybody may be back on a regular schedule? Sure. Um, and I think that is when you're putting a team and, and I think you got to look at it too, from the air force perspective, you're putting a team out there in a game situation that hasn't played. They just practiced. Mm-hmm. And ultimately all three of these service academies are trying to develop great leaders for this country. And that's their first, um, you know, and, and biggest mission and is having them is forcing air force to play a football game when the rest of the conference is not doing it. Um, is that, you know, is that the big, the best thing to be asking either institution? I mean, you could, you could really argue if you really wanted to, um, whether army and Navy, uh, ultimately should be playing, but so far the science has proven safe for both army and Navy. Uh, in the way they've gone about things, their campuses probably more so than anybody else's in the country bubbles oh, yeah. themselves because it's a very limited uh, on and off of who comes in and, and who comes out of the campus. Yeah. If anybody so, can play this fall, it's the three service. Right. Academies. Right. Exactly. So, you know, it's a very sensitive issue. No question. I think Kenny's uh, Kenny's points were just simply, you know, is there equity in the preparation and the playing uh, of the games? He said his piece we heard him. Everybody heard him. And, uh, you know, they've moved on. He's moved on. And, you know, ironically now it's Air Force who's got radio silence uh, right now. We saw the stories about them uh, wanting several players essentially to leave campus right now and, and de-enroll this semester based on some of the stories we've read. Now, none of this has ever been confirmed by Air Force people. I think we should, uh, we should all uh, keep that in mind. But ultimately, though, that's not what the service academies are about either. We, we had a great quarterback, Tongo Smith, uh, a couple of seasons ago, get hurt in the first half of the first game. They wanted him with a torn ACL to be able to come back for another season. They applied for it. Our superintendent said no. And because ultimately that is what, you know, the service academies are about. They're not about redshirting people. They're about getting them graduated in four years. It's a free education and, and getting them into the fleet, the Marine Corps, uh, what have you. So, you know, and I, I, again, that's a, that's another, that's become another sticky situation. If indeed that is what is being encouraged in Colorado Springs, because ultimately that's not what the mission of the service academies are all about. But again, I think it's important to note while there have been published reports like that air force has not confirmed anything of the like, Athletic Director Nate Pine, um, who Navy Athletic Director Chet Gladchuk, very familiar with, good working relationship because Nate used to be at Holy Cross in the Patriot League. So Chet knows uh, Nate very well. And I just think at this point, you know, ultimately we'll know in two weeks when the two teams show up to play in Colorado Springs, who's playing and, and what it's all about. But essentially now, too, because you've got the big tennis backtrack, they're going to play. The Mountain West has discussed potentially – now playing themselves. So if they do, what does that do, um, you know, to Air Force's schedule uh, eventually down the road? Because they were allowed to prepare 
because they were given this exemption to play the two games with Army and Navy, all the rest of their conference mates have not. So, I mean, again, 2020 and the coronavirus has thrown us a, um, a pretty big curve in the CIC rivalry and certainly uh, for Air Force, um, you know, and with their Mountain West mates now. Yeah, it's all incredibly bizarre. We're all feeling it out. But, I mean, I take the attitude just you, – you improve so much between game one and game two. So, for Air Force to come out and play its first game against Navy, I think ultimately that could be really problematic for them. But we'll see how it shakes out when they uh, get between the lines. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, Joe Miller is your co-host uh, on It's College Football. And I think it was just a podcast recommendation that came up through the algorithms of everything that I already listened to. So I was glad to have found it and uh, gave me some great listening material between Houston and Dallas on Friday. No, I appreciate it. Joe and I, uh, Joe and I care about college football an awful lot. It's one of our passions. And um, actually, we're probably uh, a couple hours away from taping uh, another edition coming up here. Uh, for our review show where that we've we've consistently getting a little more uh, to, to talk about now we've got a little bit more to review uh, this week I know we were joking around about hey we had we actually did have 10 football games uh, to, to, to break down this week so I mean you know tip of the cap to all the ADs the coaches the players the institutions who've been able to at least so far uh, give their student athletes an opportunity uh, to perform because you know in the case of the service academies you know, again, you know, 99% of them go pro in something else. Uh, Malcolm Perry is the exception rather than the rule, uh, you know, playing for the Miami Dolphins right now. So, you know, for those kids, especially that senior year means that much more uh, to them. And, and quite frankly, to the seniors on a lot of other college football teams who will be taking that degree and going, doing something else and, and not playing uh, in, in the National Football League. So at least gives those young people uh, a chance to put on the pads and helmets one more time and go compete uh, with their teammates, no doubt about it. We'll link to It's College Football in the show notes. Pete Medhurst, appreciate the time, sir. Chris, thanks for having me. Mid-afternoon featured a group of five game on Big CBS with the SEC not starting until September 26th, and Army's game against BYU called off Thanks to the Cougars' COVID issues, Appalachian State at Marshall moved over to the premier spot on the Tiffany Network, and Marshall earned a 17-7 victory over the nation's 23rd-ranked Mountaineers. Steve Cotton in his 25th season as voice of the Thundering Herd. And Steve, just from your chair, obviously a very odd experience with the stadium not even half full what was it like for you calling that big win for your ball club? It's almost to the point that surreal things feel normal, aren't they? <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of crazy. In fact, this game wasn't even thought of six weeks ago. Marshall lost all of its non-conference games because of teams and leagues pulling out. Same thing for Appalachian State. Once upon a time, Marshall and Appalachian State was a great rivalry when the two teams were in the Southern Conference back mm -hmm. when it was one double A. And uh, over the years, we went different directions. But it's close enough to be a bus ride. So as teams are trying to, you know, scramble and fill schedules, five weeks ago, it was announced that Marshall would play Appalachian State. 
And we knew that Appalachia State was pretty good. Well, we find out this past week that it's going to be a top 25 team coming in. And uh, Tuesday of game week, we find out it's going to CBS. And then it was a great game. Only 12,000, just over 12,000 people in attendance with a socially distanced crowd. But the atmosphere was there. And it was a beautiful day. Perfect weather. Temperature in the high 60s. Not a cloud in the sky. So it ended up for what uh, you worry can happen because of small crowds and everything. It ended up being a great day and a great atmosphere. So that's about a quarter of the stadium filled right now. And I said half, but not even a quarter of the place. Yeah, uh, listed capacity is 38,000. So okay. about a third. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I mean, for, for Doc Holliday, I mean, just in my limited amount of talking to him, you know how passionate he is about that university and that community and the opportunity to bring that story to the nation in what is usually the top-rated slot in college football every Saturday. I mean, what an incredible opportunity for that school. It is. And as uh, we were walking around way before broadcast time, you know, people are getting things set up. And all of a sudden, it kind of struck me. I heard the CBS theme music being played (laughs) out of the TV booth as I was walking by. And I thought, okay, this really is different and it's kind of special. And Marshall does literally get the national stage the uh time slot that everyone dreams about so and then the fact that the game delivered it uh for you think a 17-7 final score maybe not the most exciting thing but that game was interesting and entertaining the entire way through and defense obviously uh, led the charge given that 17-7 to score just some of the notes from this you guys held app state to 96 yards rushing the fewest they've had since their first year up in fbs uh, Devontae Beckett, 16 tackles, a career high for the senior. And obviously one of the biggest plays of the day was Brandon Traden with that huge force fumble in the fourth. What else stood out to you among so many things with defense? Just the way they swarmed to the football. Marshall has several newcomers on defense this year. Now, Devontae Beckett is an all-conference performer who came back and you know what you have in him. But uh, the other two starting linebackers are uh, first-year starters. One, And you've got uh, new guys in the secondary and people taking up increased roles. And it's kind of come together even more quickly than probably you would have hoped. And that was the test. Marshall had a season opener against Eastern Kentucky, a 59-0 game. A lot of youngsters got playing time because you could go to the bench early. But this was the test. We did – not still know, even though you pitched a shutout in that first game, how these guys would react to a very good Appalachia State offense. And first and foremost, they knew they had to shut down the run. And wow, they uh, they came up and really made some big plays. Yeah, always good to have the the warm up. I mean, Eastern Kentucky obviously is not a team that's going to be even top tier in the FCS, but you see that marked improvement between game one and game two. Every coach will tell you that, and I'm sure you witnessed that yourself. Sure did, and people felt good after that first game because the newcomers looked like they belonged. In terms of athleticism, they're, they're fast enough. It's going to be a process all year long for them to kind of learn the defense and get to the right spot all the time. But if you're not going to get to the right spot and do the perfect thing every time, at least you can make up for it with hustle. And flying to the football seems to be what this defense is going to build itself upon. 
on offense, I loved the quote from uh, Brendan Knox just talking about how he could cry. And you usually don't find a young person who really understands that this is going to be something that he's going to carry with him for the rest of his life. It's an afternoon that he's going to be telling his grandkids about someday. And Knox really put the team on his back, especially early. Set the tone. Marshall had the ball to begin, and Knox runs for some 60 yards in the first drive of the game, caps it off with a two-yard touchdown run, and that's kind of his thing. He's in an interesting story. I think Marshall out-recruited Indiana State to get him. He's a Columbus, Ohio <laughs> kid, and came in uh, just without accolades and worked and worked and worked. Doc Holliday places a huge emphasis on special teams, and that's where you earn the coach's trust. And as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, two years ago, Brendan never carried the ball until game nine. And all of a sudden, got his chance, had a 100-yard rushing performance in the first game. So he's early in his junior season now. He has actually carried the ball in 20 games at Marshall, and he's over 2,000 career yards. That was his 11th. 100-yard-plus yeah. performance in the win over Appalachian State. And he just uh, shows up and goes to work and sets the tone that way. And you can't, you know, exactly think that everything's perfect with, you know, only putting 17 points on the board. So what else, what from the offense maybe concerns you? What needs to be fixed before the next time the herd sees the field? Well, you have a redshirt freshman quarterback who had gaudy numbers in the openers, threw for over 300 yards, Grant Wells, a freshman from nearby Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, four touchdown passes. Obviously a much pass for him. Doc Holliday said, told him and told the media earlier, he said, I don't care about those gaudy numbers. Grant needs to avoid turnovers mm -hmm. and trust the uh, rest of the team to get the job done and trust that the coaches will put him in good situations. He threw one interception, a pass that was tipped and picked off, and, uh, and had thrown a couple of fairly risky passes early, including that interception. And I think uh, he really uh, learned then, don't do that. We've got the lead. Make the smart play. And then still threw a couple of huge passes and then scored the final touchdown on a, a great fake on a, a read option play. The entire Appalachian State defense tackled Brendan Knox. Why not? And Wells was all by his lonesome, about 10 yards away from anybody as he ran it in for Marshall's final score. I mentioned 25 years in this role for you and even more before that in different roles for Marshall. Is this the highlight? Is this the biggest game you've witnessed? I mean, I know there's been championships at the NAA level, but – I mean, can anything top this day for you in 25 years of calling herd football? It's one of the best. Now, my very first year, uh, Marshall went 15-0 and in the 1AA ranks. The first time I ever said touchdown thundering herd, the ball was in Randy Moss's hands. <laughs> Four years later with Chad Pennington, they went 13-0 and and were ranked uh, number 10 in the country. So there have been a lot of good games. But and, uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a big season opening win over Purdue there at the stadium. Purdue wasn't ranked, though. Appalachian State was the first right. ranked team to come into this stadium and fall to the Thundering Herd. This ranks up there. And again, just because the weather was perfect, the atmosphere, despite the small crowd, it was a fun, fun day. Certainly a top five day of all the football games I've gone to in Huntington. Now, you guys already had the game against ECU pushback. You were scheduled to take this week off already, but then host Rice 
October 3rd. That game's already been postponed. The Owls just can't get off the runway this season. Are Marshall administrators trying to find a new opponent for this week or next so there's not three weeks between games? When you have all this momentum from this huge win, you'd hate to wait three more weeks to play. Well, you're exactly right about that. I know that uh, Mike Hamrick, Marshall Athletic Director, is working the phones, trying to find out if something makes sense always. And uh, it's so crazy to think about football scheduling is usually done what? Now, eight and ten years in advance, Marshall has games on the books. And here we are looking at the first two games were scheduled within the last six weeks. And who knows, we might have one scheduled a week or two out before it's all said and done. Everything has to fall in the right spot to make that happen. But we'll see. Who knows? You and I are talking at just past 2 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday, and the AP Top 25 poll just released, and Marshall is in there, number 25 in the country. I imagine that'll sit pretty well in Huntington. No doubt about it. We kind of thought it would be close. One of the last ones in the poll or the highest receiving votes left out. So that's kind of cool, and, uh, well, who knows? Marshall might uh, have – a week, two weeks, three weeks before ever uh, having to put that undefeated record on the line. Hopefully we play again sooner rather than later. But my goodness, uh, to be ranked, uh, the the feel-good week continues in Huntington. Well, by the rules of the poll, the Big Ten has not been included yet. So, uh, unfortunately, if uh, if they're allowed back in, the herd may go out by no fault of their own. Just another quirk of 2020, right? (laughs) That's right. Steve, I appreciate the time. And please pass along my admiration to Chuck McGill. Great piece on HerdZone.com, recapping the day yesterday, getting a feel for the atmosphere there at the stadium. Uh, really great job. And I you know, admire a lot of people there at Marshall. And um, you're now among them. I appreciate your time today. Well, I'm glad to join you. And, uh, yep, Chuck's a great one. And uh, there's always good stuff on HerdZone.com. Thanks to Chuck McGill. All right. Thanks, Steve. Sure thing. Have a good one. At the same time Marshall was beating App State on CBS, UCF was rolling over Georgia Tech on ABC. 49-21, the final in Atlanta. The Knights remain the top-ranked Group of Five team at number 13 in the AP poll. Cincinnati is right behind them at 14, then Memphis is 17th, the Ragin' Cajuns at 19th, and Marshall, as we just mentioned, enters at 25th. The one game I did watch from beginning to end on Saturday was Louisiana Tech at Southern Miss. Both of these teams had been through a lot. La Tech had its opener versus Baylor canceled last week after nearly 40 Bulldogs tested positive for COVID-19. Southern Miss saw its head coach, Jay Hobson, resign after losing their first game versus South Alabama. So you had the 30-year-old Scotty Walden, the interim head coach, jumping and screaming and running all over the place on Saturday night. USM got up 27-10 to in the third quarter, but Tech came back to win 31-30. to Griffin Bear got a foot down in the back of the end zone for the game-tying TD catch with just 14 seconds left. 
took a very long official review, but the dogs got the points, then added the PAT to go ahead. Now they'll head home, and I will join them in Ruston on Saturday. It's my first college broadcast of the season, Houston Baptist at La Tech. That'll be on ESPN3. Lynn Rollins and I will be reunited in the booth, divided by plexiglass, of course, though. We'll preview that one on the next Group of Five Live episode, which should drop on Friday morning. By then, we should also know definitively whether or not the Mountain West and or the MAC will be re-entering the equation for this fall. Group of Five Live is part of the Landry Football Network. Subscribe to Landry's Football Conference Call wherever you get podcasts. Bookmark LandryFootball.com. And on Twitter, follow Landry Football. Bonus analysis from four-year-old Austin. We watched the Cincinnati game against Austin P. Oh, you're right. You're four and a half now. Um, what did you think of the Cincinnati game? It was good. Was the score close? No. What was it? I don't know what the score was. Was it close or was it lopsided? It is lopsided. Do you think Cincinnati's going to win a lot of games this year? Yes, it will never be lopsided again. I don't think this next game is going to be lopsided. It's Cincinnati versus Army. Army's pretty good. And since is, is Cincinnati good? I think so. And this audio is not going to be very good because you keep touching the microphone. Huh? <laughs> Do you like Group of Five Live? Yes. Do you want to be on again next week? No. That's okay. I love you. I love you. I love you too. Goodbye. <laughs>